Welcome, everyone, to the Farm CPA Podcast presented by Top Producer. I am Paul Neefer, your host, and today I'm going to welcome in Nate and Chris Riggers from Northern Idaho on the Camas Prairie. Um, and that, for those that don't know, the Camas Prairie would be probably, well, I'll let them tell us where they're located at, so I won't go into those details. But uh, Nate and Chris, how are things going? Good. We're kind of snowed in at the moment, but that's pretty typical for this time of year in our region. So we're not complaining. Yeah. No, no, we're definitely not complaining. Uh, I was at a um, the Tri-State Grain Convention last week and uh, there was a weather person there. And I think he's indicating, at least based on their projections right now, that the Pacific Northwest is looking at colder and wetter. So that I, I don't think we'll necessarily not take that. No, that's good. Good uh, skiing weather, which we both do. So, uh, <laughs> now where, where, where do you guys ski at? Oh, all over, but primarily down in McCall, which is two and a half hours south of here, halfway between us and Boise. There's yep. a couple uh, mountains down there that we've got family down in that area, and that's where we've gone gone most of the time growing up and through our okay. lives. So. Okay. And on the podcast, I always sort of like to start out with, you know, the background on your career, education, where you grew up and so on. Why don't we start with Nate, who's the father, and then we'll we'll switch over to Chris, uh, the son. Okay. So, uh, Paul, I, uh, I grew, grew up here on the Camas Prairie. I uh, attended high school in Craigmont, Idaho, and then... Uh, went to college at the University of Idaho and graduated in 1987. And I uh, started my career in the grain and seed industry, working for some regional companies out of college. And then in 1992, my father, who was farming with my older brother at the time, my father retired and they invited my wife, Christine, and I back to the Nespers Craigmont area to join the operation. And so my brother and I started farming as a partnership in, in that year, and uh, I guess it was fall of 1991. And so I spent my career here farming with my brother. He retired in 2019, I guess at the end of 2018. And my son Christopher and his wife Natalie then uh, came into the operation then. And <clears throat> That's uh, where we've been uh, been on that path since 2018, farming with my son now. Okay, okay. And Chris, uh, describe yours, and then we'll step in maybe a little bit more just on what the farm operation looks like and so on as far as what it looks like today. Sure. Uh, so after I graduated high school here uh, in northern Idaho, uh, I went to college at Purdue back in Indiana. And was there for four years, got my undergraduate there in agribusiness management and uh, graduated in 2015. And then after that, I worked for a couple years in the grain industry as a grain merchandiser for a couple different companies in the Midwest and uh, Montana, actually. 
uh, really enjoyed that. That was a good experience for me. And uh, that was kind of in the period where my wife was getting her master's degree from Purdue. And when she finished that up, we got married in Indianapolis and moved home in 2017. Okay. Okay. Now, I'm just curious because both of you, you did work off the farm before you came back to the farm was that sort of a requirement or is it just the way it sort of turned out i'm just because i know some farm operations it's sort of a mandate you need to work off the farm for a few years because we want to make sure you really want to farm and then others say you know really doesn't matter it, it just depends on the situation so i'm just curious for both nate and chris uh how that evolved so when I graduated in 1987 from the University of Idaho, farming was, as you know, wasn't very good. There wasn't a mandate that I go work somewhere else, but I also wasn't, there wasn't an expectation then that I was going to return to the farm. Um, I think when my dad decided to retire at age 62 in 1991, um, then it just kind of unfolded that there was an opportunity and my brother was uh invited me back as a partner for the two of us so but uh as my career evolved through farming and continuing education and being a lifelong learner and and seeing just observing other operations uh christopher did want to farm since he was you know a young kid and so there was i think an expectation that my wife and i had that that before you come back to the farm business, you need to work for someone else for at least a few years to learn what it's like to be an employee for someone other than mom and dad. Yep. And to learn how uh, more of a formal business, not a family held business, but larger businesses operate and how to treat employees, how to lead employees, how to be led as an employee were probably some of the most valuable things that we we wanted to see and just knowing uh i've always observed i think kids who come back to farm after they've done something else seem to have a more satisfying career uh, because they have experience nine to five or being a wage earner and uh so they have something in their career to compare it to and and don't always have that the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence mentality yeah. Yep, exactly, exactly. So, well, and I think you sort of covered that for both you and Chris. Let's let's jump into what does farming look like, or what's your farm operation look like, especially some of the unique, um, you know, not issues, but unique circumstances of farming on the Camas Prairie and so on. I think uh, yeah, a lot of our listeners out there are based in the Midwest. Uh, you know, they're on uh, as I laughingly call them flatlanders you know out in our neck of the woods uh, uh certainly where i grew up in the dixie wall wall area we got steep ground now i don't think camas prairie is as steep but you got some ground around there so let's just fill in the listeners a little bit on on the farm background yeah um we're at about 3500 feet elevation so we're somewhat high elevation uh, i know there's areas that are higher than us but in terms of the kind of Pacific Northwest Palouse region, we're, we're at about the highest of anywhere. So we're about the last in the PNW to harvest and, and, you know, do our field work. Uh, our crop mix is 
primarily fall crops by about 60 to 70 percent and that would be winter wheat winter canola and kentucky bluegrass seed uh kentucky bluegrass seed being a perennial crop um but we consider it a, a fall crop because it matures early and uh you know we're not planting in the spring so uh our spring crops would include barley spring canola and legumes on on some years chickpeas lentils green peas things like that um we've got three full-time employees right now plus my dad and i and then obviously part-time help in the busy seasons but uh our I, i'd say the most unique thing about our geography is that the uh elevation um and our somewhat mild winters compared to like canada or you know eastern montana north dakota like that allow us to grow the fall crops which yield much better than spring crops in our area and being able to split uh between fall and spring we're able to just cover more ground with less equipment and less people typically than your uh you know average midwest corn and soybean farm so that's kind of when you think about us compared to you know we grow a lot of the same crops as canada and the uh, upper and western midwest but um a lot more fall crops uh and just a little bit milder weather in winters that sort of thing yeah and you know the interesting thing i was in iowa yesterday teaching and um it was actually not too cold uh, you know i'm used to when i go to iowa in december or january i'm used to it being like 10 and it was actually probably 35 40 and i know in the pnw we've had a few days where it's been a whole lot colder than that but uh, uh but as i um, do this podcast i'm actually in colorado and it's 50 degrees and sunny out so you just don't know what the weather is going to do so now so Nate, your brother retired, you said, in like 18 slash 19, and then you brought in Chris. Um, is that, just go through that process, was that just bringing Chris as a as an employee or an owner or a combination of both? I'm just curious um, how that whole process went. Yeah, the first year and a half that Christopher was back, he was an employee of the farm. And then in, at the end of 2018, uh, with the help of our accountant and attorney, we valued the business and we began a, uh, created a buyout of my brother and his wife uh, for their stock in the operation. And Christopher and I began that buyout. And then he and his wife you know, began accumulating ownership in the farm that way. So the, the typical, what I see in a farm operation, you know, it's a sort of like when your brother was selling out, it's an installment sale. Um, actually, it helps him with it being stock. It actually is a lower capital gains rate. And, and you know, and plus for Christopher, it allows him to, you know, sort of buy it with earnings that he has over the next 5, 10, 15 years, however long the time frame is. Does that sound about right for, for your situation? Yeah, exactly. And then having the help of good accountants and lawyers, um, you know, the, the C stock 
or the, the common stock in the C corporations was discounted a bit, given that we don't get any depreciation on what we're buying because we're buying yep. stock. Yep. And uh, so just having those that expertise guide us through uh, made it very comfortable for both my brother and myself and made it pretty seamless. It was just, you know, coming up with valuations on machinery uh, because we didn't we didn't include any land in the in the buyout, just up just the operating entity. And and I think it's important uh, for most of the succession plans I've seen that work well. It is good to keep that that operating side separate from the land holding side. You know, a lot of the times the the person that's in the business sells the business, but they keep the land. And I think that's probably what happened with you and your brother is that he's keeping the land because that's sort of his retirement a little bit too. And and plus, you know, we we sort of have dirt in our blood. It's hard to get rid of that dirt. Yeah, our land was has been held in a LLC and we've been over the last few years unwinding that, getting land to each of us individually, the parcels that were easy to split up equally. Yep. And we'll have that accomplished at the end of this year, I think. And so we'll continue renting land from my brother that I was a partner with. And my parents passed away about uh, February, January, February of last year. So we're getting that estate cleaned up and taking care of all the of their children, my brothers, three brothers. So it's been a, a very complicated year in that respect, but getting the LLC unwind and getting my parents' estate taken care of. But uh, just surround yourself with good people that know what they're doing and can help you, and it 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 can happen. Is there anything that you would do different if you were to do it over? Uh, I guess you know there's always little things that that you would probably do different. But is there any material thing that you thought about that? Hey, I wish we'd done that differently. No, we had we overlooked uh, an asset in the LLC. Some. Uh, older grain bins that we should have included in the original buyout, but we got that taken care of. Um, I, you know, overall, the way we did it, I think was probably by the book. And I think it worked very well. You know, Paul, I just want to say that, you know, it, it helped obviously with the expertise that we had from um, attorneys and our accountants and stuff, but it also was had a the success hinged a lot because um my uncle you know was ready to retire and he was very easy to work with and very i think uh you know was happy to have me come into the operation and take over his half of of the farm and he was ready to do that and uh just made you know everyone working together just just work because we were all able to work together. And I know that that's not always the case, but I think that's probably the biggest thing that led to, you know, has led to the success of our transition. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. I mean, I, I definitely have dealt with uh, operations where let's just say it wasn't as smooth as, as uh, your operation uh, has, has transitioned. Uh, speaking of the operation, what is the management structure of, of the farm operation right now? Who, sort of who's in control, if there is such a thing, and, and so on? <laughs> well, I, uh, Christopher is the 
if we're going to designate titles here, the CEO of the farm right now, and I probably view myself as a CFO or, you know, Chris is a manager and I'm basically the bookkeeper administration officer, I guess, that I try to take care of as much office work as I can so that he can be freed up and not be bogged down by it. And other than that, Christopher's running the show in terms of daily operations, uh, strategic planning. Uh, most of our relationship management is uh, done by him. And uh, I'm, I'm real busy with another job I have as on the board of directors of Northwest Farm Credit Services. So I really, I just try to do my uh, bookkeeping stuff and drive whatever equipment they need me to drive and give an opinion now and then about certain things, but he's really uh, taken over. It's been a very, very easy for me to, to, to step back and delegate those decision-making to him. Yeah. Now, in the Midwest, most of the rental arrangements are what I call cash rental arrangements. You know, there is some crop share. Whereas really out in the Plus country, the Northwest, the wheat country and so on, most of it, at least my opinion, most of it seems to be crop share, although we got some cash rent more and more coming on. I'm just curious on, on your operation, is it primarily crop share? Is it cash rent? Or I, I'm just curious how that, that breaks down. Yeah, um, we're primarily cash rent. Okay. And I'd say the Cameras Prairie, at least, is is probably majority cash rent. Um, Paul, I think the ca the crop share that you see on the Plus uh, comes from a lot of the wheat fallow regions. Yeah. yeah. Where it's just hard to arrive at a cash rent when half the ground is fallow each year trying to accumulate moisture. As you move to the eastern Palouse and into our area, it's more crop or more cash rent because we do annual crop. And yeah, and you also have like the bluegrass and so on. So that's that's a little bit more unique than um, out in my area. Now, again, I'm I'm down in or was, you know, a process of moving from Columbia County, Walla Walla County, and still most of that is is crop share and a lot of that is annual. But uh, I, I think you're right. As you probably move farther east, uh, it is becoming more and more cash rent. But that is starting to move into our area a little bit too. And then you see, as uh, the primary operators retired in the 80s or 90s, and when their kids who live off the farm now live in the cities, are now the landowners. I think you see a more evolution to cash rents also. Yeah, because they don't want to be bothered with marketing yeah. the grain and, and, you know, writing a check for their share of the fertilizer and their share of the inputs, whatever it might be. So, uh, but, uh, well, good, good. Actually, right now, we're just going to go ahead and take a quick break for a sponsored message, and we'll come back. And uh, as you had mentioned, Nate, uh, you are on the board of directors with Northwest Farm Credit. We'll dive into that a little bit. And then Chris also has another business uh, that we'll talk about and, and so on. So let's go ahead and take a quick break. Get timely updates about taxation, accounting, succession planning, and other issues that are unique to farmers and agribusiness processors. Find out about major agribusiness events and how to comply with new laws that affect your business. Subscribe to Farm CPA 
at blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness and experience the CLA promise. blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness. Welcome back, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer, Paul Neifer, your host. And we're going to rejoin our conversation with uh, Nate and Chris Riggers. Uh, so, Nate, you had mentioned before the break that uh, you are on the board of directors. Uh, matter of fact, I think you might be the chair of the board of directors with uh, Northwest Farm Credit. Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of background how you got involved in that? Uh, also, the fact that uh, Northwest is going through a little bit of a change right now. Let's let's just share that that information with the listeners. Okay, I was uh, elected to the board of directors in 2014. I was just identified by the nominating committee uh, at that time as a potential candidate. So, in our uh, process, you go through an interview. Uh, potential candidates do with the nominating committee, and then they select. Uh, two candidates to run in an election, and I won that election in 2014, was re-elected in 2019. We have five-year terms, and then was elected as chairman of the board in the spring of 2021. And during my time as chair, we uh, proposed a merger of Northwest Farm Credit Services with Farm Credit West, which is a California-Arizona uh, Farm Credit Association, and our uh, shareholders approved that merger in November, this past November, and we're just awaiting the final Farm Credit Administration approval, which is the federal regulatory agency for the farm credit system. And with that, the merger will become effective on January 1st, 2023. And, and I have agreed to serve as chairman of the board of the new merged uh, association, which is called Ag West Farm Credit. And so I will serve as chairman of the board of, the, of that for the first year uh, as we uh, integrate and get operating as uh, one, merged one merged farm credit association. I would say after the merger, as far as, well, even before the merger, number of square miles that any farm credit served probably northwest was the largest because the fact that we had alaska as part of that group but after that you're going to be uh, from a geographic standpoint you're by far probably going to be the largest farm credit aren't you yeah perhaps um farm credit west uh territory in california is a little cut up it's not the entire state but it's uh, they share some territories with some other associations in California, but all of Arizona, some of Nevada, and then you add in the Northwest region of our four states plus Alaska. Yeah, we probably are. I think we'll be, oh, the second or third largest association in the country. Combined assets, which are loans for bankers, yep. uh, combined assets will be north of $30 billion. And it'll put us about, I think, number three in the country. Yeah, now you got the you got F I call it FCS out or Farm Credit Services out of Omaha, and then you have what is it Mid America out of Louisville. Those are probably the other two, or maybe Compere. Um, yeah, uh, you know those are going to be the 
the ones probably either your size or a little bigger. American Ag Credit, which has some territory in California, Colorado, Kansas, they're they're kind of spread out too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Should be uh, looking forward to it. Um, it's been a a really smooth integration. Uh, we were really two sister organizations that were very identical, merger of equals, and it's just kind of uh, it's amazing how smoothly it's gone and how just everything has fallen into place from employees, systems, everything integrated has integrated very, very easily. So I'm grateful for that. Well, and again, I think uh, over the last few years, uh, certainly I think um, the two organizations have done some stuff together. Or they've learned some stuff from you and vice versa. So I think it has been a, a pretty, like you said, a pretty smooth process. How much, how much time now, I know the merger would really take up a lot of your time, but before the merger was maybe happening, how much time do you think you were spending working as a, a board member, let's say? Oh, the typical, if you add up meetings and travel days, it's, I think, a uh, pretty common number is 40 days a year. But I would say I was chairman of the board. I've been at least 50, maybe 60. A lot yep. of times, you know, I'll have during our busy seasons of spring, summer, and fall. I may, I may be here, but I'll have interruptions during the day. A call I've got to be on or a virtual meeting for a couple hours. Yeah. So it takes me away from the farm. So Christopher's pretty much had to replace some of my labor contributions. Even though I'm here, I'm not necessarily dependable <laughs> and reliable <laughs> day to day. So I would say 50 to 60 days a year that, that I'm away from the farm or can't devote full time to the farm. Yeah, and and certainly I've I've seen you at certain meetings, you know, at uh, CoBank meeting and other meetings. So uh, uh, and meetings with uh, with Farm Credit. So I I know how that is. Speaking of, as someone that uh, just got back from a forty three day trip, uh, and I think back in two thousand nineteen, I was in a national car rental car for one hundred and thirty three days. So I, I know how the travel can 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 add up fairly quickly. I've noticed though how smoothly things go when I'm gone and how much they get done when I'm gone. So it's kind of a blessing. <laughs> well, actually, that means you were a good a good manager. You know, my my saying about a good manager is when the business runs better when you're not there versus when you are there. So that that that's a good sign. So, Chris, you actually formed a, a new entity maybe in the last couple of years. And I'm probably not I'm butchering the name, but my memory is it's cold stream malt grains did i have that right or did i get it messed up <laughs> you're close uh cold stream malt and grain company okay okay i was close i was close i knew i wouldn't get it perfect but what why did you decide to do that i'm just curious what what drove you to make that decision well it wasn't just me we have a, a partner another uh farmer up in um Lataw, washington which is a couple hours north of here between here and Spokane. And uh, he actually approached us with the original kind of idea and theory and asked us if it was something we'd want to pursue with him. And it was something that dad and Steve had gone down the road of oh, 15 years ago, at least in the early 2000s, but it just the the pieces weren't quite in place in terms of the industry industry the craft beer industry yet to make it all work but now things are 
are yep. working and um a lot of that's because of how the craft beer industry's expanded as well as what's called the craft malt industry which are small local malt houses in spokane and montana and just they're all over the country now um the reason i guess we decided this was something we wanted to pursue was if you remember in 2019 and 20 when we formed the partnership commodity prices were not good uh and things were just they were tough and so we were looking for ways to add value to our crops any way that we could and our region is um a good region for growing barley high quality barley that yields well the problem is we just haven't had a good market for it um in this area for a long time so we knew we had a good product we just had to figure out how to get it out there and market it and and try to find ways to add value um to the farms growing it and uh so we thought we could do that and we're in the second year now and it's growing uh growing substantially um last you know since we started and uh it's been it's been fun um and something i look forward to uh continuing to grow and develop now are you are you just providing the grain? Are you providing the malt barley? Are you actually quote malting it, or or what 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 is the value added that you're adding to the grain itself? Our two uh, revenue streams for the business are selling cleaned and processed grain in bulk. It's not bagged or anything, but just cleaned barley and some wheat now too uh, to malt houses. We're working with a couple malt houses right now uh, for their own use to um, uh, malt. And then they, you know, they malt the grain and they sell it under their brand to uh, craft breweries throughout the country. Um, our second, so that's kind of our main revenue stream is we're processing the barley, selling it to malt houses for their own use. The second revenue stream we have is we're um, branding our own finished malt product. So we we have a malt house malt grain for us. We put it in our own bag and we are selling that product to uh, craft brewers and distillers, primarily in Washington um, and Idaho right now. Okay. And I, I think... Um, and I, I think I know what you mean by when you malt barley, but I think for the listeners out there, what, what is the malting process for barley? Uh, malting the grain is kind of three steps in a malt house. First, they uh, steep the grain, which is basically just immersing, immersing it in water for a period of time to get it to a certain moisture content. Then it gets moved to a uh, what's called a germination vessel, where they uh, kind of stir the, they drain the water, then they stir the grain and pump warm air into this vessel to get the barley to germinate, uh, which usually takes two or three days, I think. And then uh, once it's got a small sprout on it, they move that to, they move the grain to a kiln and they you know, basically bake it, that stops the germination process. Um, and the point of it is to convert um, 
enzymes in the in the grain into sugar so that when uh, it gets to a brewery, they mash it and the sugar is what creates the alcohol in the right. In the beer right. Whiskey. Right. Um, and and then you add and in so the, other products, whatever they need, yeast or whatever to make what they need. Yep. So a brewery will mash the barley, and then they add right yeast and you know do everything they do to make beer. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not uh, real up on that process yet. You know hops and stuff too. If they yep thing, but um, so that's that's kind of a ten thousand foot view of the business and um like i said the main goal was just in a in a tough period where commodity prices were really low we we're just looking to add you know value to our products and find ways to generate more revenue and um you know now with commodity price appreciation and everything else barley prices gone up too but um we're glad to see that de demand is still strong um despite prices you know continuing to go up and that sort of thing what what percentage of your barley crop actually goes through that business uh and and if it's growing fairly rapidly what point do you think you're gonna have to be buying barley from other other growers uh 100 of our barley right now is going going to cold stream okay and uh so we've got our farm we have our partner matt Matt's farm in Lataw. And then last year we actually had to bring on a couple more growers to grow some barley to meet the demand. And then next year we're going to have to bring on some more yet. So okay. uh, like I said, it's the growth is kind of already out outgrown our, our two farms, um, which is good. I, when we started this, one of our goals was if this works, if this is providing value back to the farms, we wanted to be able to grow it to include neighbors of ours and right. you know, be able to provide value to not just our farms, but farms in our region. And uh, so I'm happy that we've been able to do a little bit of that so far, and we hope we can continue to do that. And because Idaho is well known for producing very good malt barley, is is that because of soil water weather elevation what 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 makes idaho or the camas prairie um produce very good malt barley i can't point to any one thing but i think it's just like you said all those things combined our elevation we get cool nights which is contributes to higher quality um our soil, you know, last year we had a significant drought in the Pacific Northwest. And the feedback we got from malt houses, our barley was, in our eyes, pretty poor quality, high protein. We still had somewhat good plumps, but high protein and just other things that, you know, we typically don't have. Um but the feedback we got from malt houses that was that it it still malted well mm, it still good. produced fairly high quality malt and so it's just yeah it's just our environment for many different reasons is very conducive to high quality barley yep and and that's you know it's sort of interesting cuz you go to the 
typical, uh, let's say, wheat grower in Kansas, they're trying to have high protein, whereas out here in the Northwest, when we're growing like soft white wheat, we actually get a premium for having low protein. So it, it just depends on what type of market that you're trying to uh, fulfill. Yep, yep. So malt houses want low, well, I wouldn't say low protein like white wheat, just kind of medium range protein, 11 to 12% typically. You know, white wheat would buyers want 10 and a half or below and red wheats you want higher protein. Yeah. So yep. barley's kind of middle of the road, which is good. Um, being a spring crop for us, uh, you know, our spring crops are typically higher protein than our, our fall crops. So it's not typically too difficult for us to hit that medium range protein level. Yeah. And, um, you know, for your situation, Chris, you are both a farmer and sort of a manufacturer and a distributor and and so on. Um, has that caused you any issues on as far as managing both of those? Or I'm just curious how that's affected you. No, I mean, it's obviously more time and more work, but one of the reasons when we looked at doing this one of the reasons we thought it would work is because what we do is you know shipping and cleaning and processing we already have 90 percent of the infrastructure that we needed to do all that we have the trucks we have the people you know we have grain bins um if we want to you know we clean the barley so it's easy to add cleaning equipment uh to the mix um and when we looked at that, we said, how do we use these assets more efficiently? How do we use them more days of the year? And that's, you know, this is contributing to that. We're using our trucks in the winter when we didn't used to. I mean, we did, but not as much as we are now. Um, you know, a few years ago, it was hard for us to keep employees busy all winter long, you know, just doesn't take that long to change oil and service equipment <laughs> when right, you have right. three full-time guys. Um, so, you know, we were just not only looking to add value to our crop, but make our farming operations more efficient and use our utilize our assets better, which it's done. Even though it's more work, you know, don't get me wrong, there's definitely times where I think, um, you know, is this are we spinning our wheels a little bit here or am I taking away from the farm, you know, my time I need to be devoting to the farm. There's times I think about that, but so far I'm happy with how it's shaken out and how I've been able to manage uh, both things. And I'm not managing Coldstream by myself at all. Right. Matt right. is, you know, he does at least half the work and we have a, uh, uh, a bookkeeper that does all our books, that's not dad. So he's not having to do the books for that. We hired a gal um, that does that. And that's been a great move. Um, so it's, you know, it's definitely a balance. It's something I, I think about, but so far I'm happy with the way that it's gone. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Well, we're getting close to the end of the podcast and I always ask two questions. Um, I think I'll start with Nate first and then go to Chris. Uh, what keeps you up at night? I sleep pretty good, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> good, uh, good. You know, it's the age old. For me, it's it's the same thing that's always been. You have a vision of what the farm 
needs to be in five or 10 years. And a lot of it is, in our case, our vision is uh, improving our infrastructure, you know, adding facilities and growing both the cold stream malt and grain and the farm. And so it just takes capital. And so you're always, you know, focused on the best place to get capital is from profit and earnings. Yep. And so we just focus on that each year and churning out earnings and, and capital to then put into the the vision. And you never have enough capital and you're never swimming in cash, right? Right. So, you know, that, that's probably what I worry about the most is throughout the year where what's working capital and uh, all the things we're constantly buying, upgrading. You know, it's very, very capital intensive business. Capital costs have gone up. The cost, everything we need to buy is, you know, darn near doubled, it seems like, yep. in the last few years in terms of steel, machinery, yep. bins, trucks, everything. So it's a challenge, but uh, have we have pretty strong prices. And as long as you get Mother Nature cooperates, it, it all pans out. And if you want to borrow some money from Northwest Farm Credit, that is doubled too. So <laughs> how about you, Chris? Is there anything that uh, keeps you up at night? Uh, aside from my three kids that are all under three. Ooh. ooh. <laughs> <laughs> when they're sleeping, I usually sleep pretty good. But, yeah. uh, you know, when I'm up in the middle of the night um, with them sometimes, uh I think the thing that I've been thinking about the most is, um, you know, we talk about our farms being sustainable. And to me, what that means is providing uh, opportunities, not just for, you know, any of my kids when they grow up and if they want to come back to farm, giving them that opportunity. But I really think about providing people in our community the opportunity to work on our farm and have a meaningful career. Um, and I think that, you know, that's just, that's something I want to be able to provide, not just, and not think about it just as a hired hand on a farm. I want people to look at farming and being able to work for a farm and have see growth opportunities and um, education opportunities and growing in a career just like they would, you know, working for a, a grain company or a, an accounting firm or anything like that. And I think we kind of have, you know, as a business in the community, I feel like we have a little bit of a of an obligation to, you know, if we're asking people to work for us in the community to be able to provide them with those things. And so that's something that's important to me and something that I think a lot about how we can do that. And I think it's something we've definitely improved upon. But um, we have I have a couple younger guys that work for us right now, and I really want to be able to, you know, show them a path, a career path with us that doesn't just stop at driving the, the drill or the combine. Right, right. And then lastly, and I'll start with Chris and then end with Nate. Um, just w what is your definition of success in farming? Um, to me, it, it just goes back to that, being able to provide a meaningful career and 
uh, work and and ultimately life for my family, but also, you know, other families in in the community. I think if we're able to do that, that means that, you know, the farm's successful and um, that I don't just want, you know, to me, the farm being successful is not just being profitable. It's being, you know, I think we have to provide meaningful careers and opportunities to people and make other people successful. Yep. No, no, I agree. And then how about you, Nate? A lot of what Chris said, you know, improving, improving the land. Uh, that was a focus for my brother and I with conservation tillage, no-till farming, uh, continuing to improve the land, improving the lives of our families and employees and all the people that we work with from landowners that we rent land from to the businesses we do business with in the community. And just uh, improving our operation and by connection then improving the lives of all those people that work with us. Great, great. Well, again, thank thank you, Chris and Nate, for taking time out of your busy schedule to do the podcast uh, with us. And uh, uh, I hope that, uh, are, are you gonna be at the top producer meeting this year or not? I uh, haven't decided yet for sure. I gotta see kind of how the kids' schedules line out, but it's definitely at the top of my list if I can if I can make it work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I keep trying to talk him into either Hawaii or Orlando or Phoenix, but uh, so far I've been unsuccessful. <laughs> I I really like Nashville. We don't get yep. to go back there all that often. And, um, uh, I think I don't know. Of course we're we're you know 29 and 30 years old, so it may be a little. <laughs> <laughs> our age group and some yeah. other people's but yeah. we enjoy it so i don't know nate i think he was talking about our age group there for a second <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but again this is the top producer podcast presented by uh, top producer this is uh, paul neef your host signing off